And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all the possessions that they had gathered, and all the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. And so Abram built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. So today, sorry, just making sure I'm not yelling into the mic. But today, uh, Pastor Dave is not here today. He's actually visiting his family up in Buffalo. So um, instead, we do have a guest speaker, uh, Pastor Reverend Unju Kim. She's been a friend to the church and a personal friend to Pastor Dave for many years, and we're really delighted to have her today. Um, Reverend Andrew, you want to come up? And... It's great to be back, to be able to worship with you on this glorious Sunday, uh, as Chan was saying. Uh, I have been here now for quite a few years, but actually, uh, I actually am a very old friend of Pastor Dave's. Uh, we go way back to Buffalo in the early 70s. Um, and actually, I don't know if he's shared with you, but today is his mom's 80th birthday. And so the whole family went uh, to celebrate her birthday uh, as you continue to pray for him. I hope that you will continue to keep his family and his parents in prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but I cannot believe that today is the last Sunday of August. I don't know where the summer went. Uh, It's been very, very busy. Uh, But I think particularly for churches throughout this country, um, it's probably the busiest season in many ways because there is vacation Bible school, uh, there are retreats, and a lot of churches are busy sending uh, short-term missions teams to different parts of not only this country, but around the world. So I have friends this summer who actually... (laughs) Uh, heavily populated Latin America. I, I have friends who went to Brazil with their church, uh, Panama with their church, the Dominican Republic with their church, Guatemala and Honduras. Um, was there a short-term mission here to Kenya? Kenya and West Virginia. So I think um, if you ask around, you will find that many, many churches have indeed been very busy. 
uh, with short-term missions work. And as a result, uh, I am happy to say that I have been drinking some very good coffee from Latin America throughout uh, this summer. And I really do appreciate the short-term missionaries who have given of their time and treasures and talents to go out and serve, to fulfill the Great Commission, to go out into the world, all to the ends of the earth, to uh, baptize, to preach the gospel and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, I grew up in a Korean-American church, and uh, I am... The result, in many ways, the beneficiary of the work of many missionaries uh, who came to Korea in the late 1800s. And it's exciting to see that a church that has received from the efforts of missionaries uh, are now active in going out and themselves sending missionaries to the world, not only here in the United States, uh, but from Korea, many missionaries have gone out uh, to many, many different countries in the world. And so they are actually acting out uh, Acts 20, verse 35, which says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So instead of being uh, a receiving church in many ways, it has become a giving church of going out and doing the work of the Lord, not only within the walls of the local church, but to create and strengthen the universal church. So as I was saying, the summer went by quickly. Next weekend is Labor Day weekend. It's the unofficial ending of summer. Next Sunday will already be September 1st. That means we only have 9, 10, 11, 12, four more months left in the year 2019. Now, I don't know about you, and I don't know if there are students here right now uh, in, in the sanctuary, but I still like to go by the academic calendar. So for me, September is like a new year. It's a new semester uh, with new classes, new beginning, and driving here uh, on the Rutgers campus. I don't know if you saw a lot of freshmen with their parents moving in. Uh, the cars were just packed with a lot of junk. Or, and they're trying to fit it all into their small dormitory rooms. And so there is always a sense of excitement, especially when the air gets crisp and fall is about to begin. Uh, I'm very excited, though I didn't read it all the time whenever a new semester began, uh, with a new textbook. You know, the possibilities are endless. And I always got excited when I got a new, fresh notebook. And for the young ones out there, actually a real notebook with lines that you wrote on, not typed in. Uh, again, because e- when the book was empty, it was just full of possibilities of what was going to be written on it. So for me, uh, the beginning of the new year, academic year, always excited me. But at the same time, a beginning of a new school year was always very scary because you don't know what to expect. You don't know what's going to happen. And actually, this is true, I would say, not only for students, but for all of us, whether we follow the academic calendar or not. Uh, There is always this constant question and wondering of what does my future hold? What is the next step for me? You don't have to be a student to wonder about the unknown, the unclear, the uncertain future. And some of us might be burdened with worries about not knowing what tomorrow will bring. And I think there's sometimes people who wish, God, 
couldn't you just give me a map, a blueprint of what my life is supposed to be? Can't you just let me know clearly that I'm doing this right? Can't you put a warning sign in my life on that map, on that blueprint, so that I could avoid pitfalls and bumps and rocky roads and rough spots? I want to have a clear plan, God. Let me know at what age I'm supposed to graduate graduate school. By what age I need to get married. I want to know clearly how many kids I will have and that I will be working until the age of 75 and then when I will die so I could have everything prepared and ready. So if you have a plan like that, you could say, hey, okay, God, gotcha. I will see you when I get, back, when I get to heaven. And if everything is all set... Why would we ever need God? What is the purpose of God in our lives then? But thankfully, God does not give us a full picture. God does not give us a clear picture. God does not give us the whole blueprint. Not in his entirety, anyway. But what God does do is show us, little by little, step by step, one day at a time. That's why we are told to partake of the bread daily, the daily bread. If you look at the, the training period of 40 years for the Israelites, uh, they did not have manna from heaven one week at a time. They did not have manna years at a time. It was given on a day-to-day, day-by-day basis. And this was to train the Israelites to trust in God on a day-to-day, day-by-day basis. Now, if you know what will come next, what is around the corner, how boring would that be? If there are no surprises and no adventures, there would be no need for faith, there would be no need for trust. Again, if we knew everything that was going to happen, there would be no need for God. I once heard somebody say that the opposite of faith is not doubt. But the opposite of faith is certainty. You don't develop faith in the context of certainty. Your faith is strengthened in the midst of doubt, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of not knowing. I'm not quite sure where this next step is going to take me, but I'm still going to take it. And then your faith will be strengthened. In that act of faith, you will learn to trust in God more. I say it again. Part of what makes life interesting are the conflicts, the surprises. It makes it aggravating at times, but the difficulties, the ups and downs. Uh, When I was doing college group English ministry, uh, as some of you know, I like Korean dramas, but any dramas are fine. You know, I, I just ask yeah, why do they always have this class difference? You know, the, the man is rich and the woman's poor, or the woman's rich and the man is poor. And one college student said, then where would all the drama be? Because it would surely be a boring drama if somebody, two people from the same class without any clashes met and married at the end. That would be like a two-minute drama, if we could call it drama at all. But the unpredictability of life It's what makes it exciting. But at the same time, the unpredictability is what makes life scary at times. But the good news and promise 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we don't have to face it alone. That Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And that's, for me, always the good news. God doesn't give us a clear picture, but God says, I am with you. And every step that you take through the hard times, through the low times and the high times, the good times and the bad times, God is with us. And he will never abandon us. In today's passage, which comes from Genesis, and some of you know I like corny jokes, so if you haven't heard this, uh, where in the Bible can you find the first baseball game? In Genesis, because the Bible says, in the big inning. So, the big book of beginnings, Genesis, we find what is known as the call of Abram. Abraham, then known as Abram, is first introduced in chapter 11. And we're told that his father is Terah, his brothers are Nahor and Haran, and his wife is Sarai. And then we come to chapter 12. In verse 1 it says, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. God was asking Abram to let go of the three most important ties that can be found in the ancient Near East. His land, his people or culture, and his family. And when God called Abram, we're not told in scripture, God did not give Abram a specific address. He was not given a map. There was no GPS to let him know where to turn and where to go. And I could kind of imagine other people in his neighborhood seeing Abram getting ready to move and asking him, hmm, where are you going? And he would say, oh, I'm not sure. Okay, uh, when will you get there? I, I don't know. How will you know when you get there? I'm, I'm not sure. Why are you going? That one I know, because God called me. Because God called me. And I can imagine the ridicule of the people around him. They probably made fun of him, saying, you know, in his old age, he's gotten a little crazy, he's getting all this stuff and leaving, but he doesn't know where he's going. And definitely for Abram, there was a tremendous risk involved. But he knew that when God calls, you have to answer. Therefore, he took this tremendous risk left his family, his people, his country. Much like what the missionaries did throughout the centuries, much like what the immigrants did throughout history. Abram could have made an excuse to God. God, do you know how old I am? I am a 75-year-old man. Most folks my age are retired and playing golf in Florida. They are traveling and enjoying their grandchildren, and they they are taking advantage of their AARP discounts and benefits. God, I am a 75-year-old man. Are you sure I'm the right person? You want me to uproot my whole life, move from my country, my comfort, and my convenience? There is no money-back guarantee, no warranties, And I need to trust just your words of promise. But once again, Abram realized that when God calls, 
you have to answer. And you cannot give your age as an excuse. Age is not an issue with God. You are never too young and you are never too old to be called by God. So, especially growing up in a Korean church, it's like there's this tremendous hierarchy in Confucianism, right? And so you always have to wait and let the adults, people who are older than you, have everything first or do something first. But that is never an excuse in the people, in the will of God. You are never too old. You are never too young to not be used by God. And so he did not make this excuse. And what he did do was he showed courage, faith, and obedience after he heard this call from God. In verse 5 it says, He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. When I read this, it made me realize once again that Abraham was not called the father of faith for nothing. He is not known as the father of faith just to the Christians, but also to the Jewish uh, people as well as the Muslims, because he took all the possessions that they had accumulated. He took everything as an act of full obedience to this calling of God. He did not do things halfway. He took all that he had. He did not leave some there just in case they had to come back. He did not leave some there just for safety's sake or for insurance's sake. In the fact that he took all that he had shows that he was fully committed to this calling and leading of God. There was no turning back. There was no coming back. So as we read this story of the call of Abram, we could ask and wonder, why did God call Abram? Why did God call Abram? And we can see this in verse 2. The first reason why God called Abram was to bless him. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. The second reason why God called Abram is to bless others. And you will be a blessing. So if somebody asks you, why did God call Abraham? God called Abraham to bless him and to make him a blessing. And that same calling also works towards our calling. Why does God call each and every one of us? God calls us first to bless us. God calls us second so that we can be a blessing. So that we can be a blessing. Too many of us pray to God just to be blessed. Lord, bless me. Bless my family, my friends, my job, my endeavors, my children. Bless, bless, bless me. But not enough of us pray to be a blessing. How often do we pray to God, asking God to bless us so that we can bless others? How often do we pray to be a blessing to our co-workers, to our neighbors, to strangers? You know, I often have people asking me to pray for their children, especially when they go off to school, a new semester. Can you pray that 
she will find good friends. I say, okay, I will pray that she will have good friends, but I'm also going to pray that she will be a good friend to others. We're never called just to be blessed. We're called and we're blessed so that we can be a blessing. We are blessed so that we can be a source of blessing. I hope that in our prayer times, that it will be equally, Lord bless me, as well as Lord bless me so that I can bless others. If nothing else you remember from the call of Abraham, I hope that we'll remember that we, will, we are never blessed only for ourselves. We are blessed so that we can bless others. We are blessed so that we can be a blessing. Now, in order to be blessed, in order to be a blessing, we can see in the example of Abram that we need courage. We need to be able to take risks. We need faith. We're not really clear, but we're still going to walk. We need obedience. Instead of just keeping it in our head, I intend to, I intend to, we need to obey so that the word, the intention, will become flesh and reality in our lives. Be blessed, be a blessing. We need courage, faith, obedience, and one more thing I believe that we need in order to be blessed and to be a blessing is we need to leave our comfort zones. I've been reflecting, meditating, uh, praying on this for the past few years, and I might have shared this with you before. But the blessing is always found beyond the comfort zone. The blessing is always found beyond the comfort zone. The, point, the origin story of that, I think, we can see in scripture, especially in the life of Abraham. But think about it, in everything in life. And if babies who are in the womb of their mothers, it's really comfortable there. That's why, you know, we're, we're in the middle of amniotic fluid, you know, we don't have to really worry about food, we don't have to worry about rent and housing, we don't have to worry about getting that diploma and education. We're just kind of hanging out in the womb. And it's really, really comfortable there. And if we want to just stay in that comfort zone, we would never have been born. The blessing is always found beyond the comfort zone. We see this in athletes. Oh, I ran the marathon in five hours. I'm really comfortable there. And if there's no stretching, if there's no pushing, if there's no uh, uncomfortability in terms of working out longer or uh, working out with more weights, then new records will never be broken. If we're just kind of content and comfortable, not, no, new records will not be achieved. Again, for people who are too comfortable with their people, with their household, with their land, missionaries would never have gone across the world. If people are too comfortable uh, with what they have, with familiarity, our parents would never have moved, left, and taken a risk to come to a new land in the midst of new people. And if they didn't do that, 
you all would not be here a part of the congregation of Graceway Church. The blessing is always found beyond the comfort zone. There has to be a letting go and a leaving of convenience, of comfort, of uh, familiar, familiarity. And as I was thinking about this, it kind of coincided with what I've been thinking about more so uh, this year particularly. And that is these two words of movement and institution. Um, for some reason, I think it was in the beginning of the year, um, I was reading The Great Spiritual Migration, and this uh, stuck with me. Uh, it's written by Brian D. McLaren. And he wrote that movements engender loyalty to their cause or dream and value, uh, and dream, and value passion and agility. So once again, movements engender loyalty to their cause or dream and value passion and agility. Institutions build loyalty to their legacy and value moderation and stability. Institutions are enduring organizations that preserve the gains made by past social movements, and movements are ad hoc organizations that propose new gains to current institutions. So as I read that, uh, two words popped up, institution and movement, movement and institution. And it so happened that as I went to uh, the PCUSA Big Tent in Baltimore, uh, the beginning of this month, uh, the theme was movement beyond institution. So it gave me another opportunity to hear and to reflect on these two words, movement and institution, institution and movement. First, there always has to be a movement, but ultimately, most movements become an institution. In movement, there is flexibility and spontaneity and innovation, but it becomes an institution in order to secure, to have security and longevity and preservation. So tr traditions are important. They become institutionalized. But we see this not only throughout history, but in our lives as well. You know, when you are single or when you're young, there's a lot more freedom and movement. You know, you move from one apartment to another. Your utensils are made out of plastic. Your plates are made out of paper, but as you become more settled, if you will, the paper plates become maybe melamine plates. Uh, then you join the institution of marriage, and then the melamine plates become ceramic, or uh, you invest a bit more into nice, nicer dishes and pots and pans. Whereas uh, during college time, your furniture were bean bags and crates. Uh, and then maybe you'll graduate a little to IKEA furniture. And then once you become more settled, uh, you invest a lot more in uh, not necessarily expensive, but better quality furniture. And so we see this in our lives as well. There's always uh, this move, uh, progression from movement to institution. And again, in scripture, we see this uh, idea in large ways because the people of Israel were in the desert moving around for 40 years. So they had a lifestyle that was tabernacle, tent-based. But once they settled into the promised land, the tabernacle movement became the institution of the temple. 
The movement of prophets later on became institutionalized and the prophets became priests. We are a part or the beneficiary of the Reformation movement, but later on, as the movement became more institutionalized, it became the Protestant church. So we see this movement and institution, institution and movement all the time. And we are a part of the PCUSA that professes that we are a reformed people as well as a reforming people. I am a firm believer that we need both movement as well as institution, institution as well as movement. But as an institution, we should never lose our mind and our hearts and our perspective, our spirit of the movement. We need to have both and. The church should never just be a building, but it should be a verb. We are churching now. That the movement continues in the ING of our spiritual journey. So, just sharing this with you as I'm mulling over it, uh, particularly this year and maybe for years to come. But think of this. If there is no movement then there is no life. We have to be following the movement of the Holy Spirit beyond the traditions and institution. Because oftentimes the institutions become so comfortable. It becomes so familiar. It becomes so convenient that we don't want to move, that we don't want to stretch. We don't want to take risks. But as we see in the institutionalized life of Abram, 75 years will get you into a certain way of thinking and a certain way of doing things. But he did not ignore the movement, the calling of the Spirit of God. And he took that risk. He took that step out of his comfort zone. And when he did that, he was not only blessed, but he became a blessing. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. I really hope and pray that as the people of God, we will not be just an institution that only want to be blessed, but that we will be a part of the movement so that we can be a blessing to the world. I hope that we will follow the example of Abram, that we will show our faith and trust, that we will work on our obedience and commitment, that we will respond to the call of God, as Abram did, through not only worship, but through fellowship, not only through commitment and dedication on Sundays, but living out our lives as faithful followers of Christ from Sunday to next Sunday to next Sunday and beyond. We are called so that we could be blessed. We are called so that we can be a blessing. May you all go forth from here blessed so that you can be a blessing, not only in this coming week, but in all the years to come. Let us pray.
Lord God, we thank you that you have called us, you have chosen us, you have saved us, you have blessed us. But if we only receive blessings without being a blessing, then we are like the Dead Sea, just receiving and not giving. Help us to pray and live our lives so that we can be a blessing, a source of hope, a source of light to a world that desperately needs to hear the good news. We thank you for this church. We thank you for blessing this church. We ask that you will continue to use this church to bless not only this state, not only this country, but to the ends of the earth. May we reflect your glory and grace in all that we do. God, we thank you. We give you all glory, honor, power, and praise. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.